Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and uh, just encourage you that if you missed last week's program to go back and watch it if you can. Uh, we have archived it and as a matter of fact we've archived everything that we have aired to date is available for you to watch uh, on YouTube. We have a channel there on YouTube that you can watch and we started a series last week on the book of Hebrews and laid some powerful stuff down that I think would be really a blessing to you if you go back and take a look at it, bring you up to date. One thing about it is if, you, if you're not DVRing these and you miss them, uh, you can go back and watch them other ways. So the easiest way to go back and find these programs is to simply go to my website at lynnhiles.com. Of course, the, the, it's right here, but it's also on your screen periodically throughout the program. Our website is listed there. And our opening page will have our TV program right there. And all you have to do is just hit the play button and it'll take you right straight to our YouTube page. There's also a link from, that, uh, from our website at lynnhiles.com. There's a link to our iTunes feed of podcasts where you can get the audio portions of what we've taught from our iTunes. Go there and sign up. Uh, also, there's an RSS feed for Android devices, and so you can uh, get the message a whole lot of different ways. If you are enjoying these programs, be sure and tell your friends to tune in and watch us every week and uh, shoot us an email or a card or a letter and let us know you're watching, where you're watching from, so that we can be good stewards of what the Lord has placed within our hands. Your faithful partnership is what helps us and enables us to take the gospel around the world. For those of you who so seated in the ministry, we are forever grateful and we thank you for your partnership. Uh, that being said, I want to get back into the scripture today because we are looking at the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is directed towards a Hebrew audience. You say, how do you know that, Dr. House? Because that's the title of the book. It usually tells you something about what the book is about. It is written to Hebrews in about 64 to 60 AD, somewhere in that range. I have the dating right here. Uh, they estimate somewhere between 64 and 68 AD, about 30-some years into the New Covenant. And uh, they are Hebrews that are right now probably in the height of probably the greatest persecution that they had ever experienced under the Roman siege, and if it was not sieged yet, it was going to be shortly within, within just a few years. This book of Hebrews is one of the books that was written towards the end of the transition period, uh, moving from an old covenant to a new covenant. Last week, what we dealt with, just by way of review a little bit, was we dealt with verse 1 and 2, God who had sundry times and times past spoke to us in through and by the prophets, hath past tense in these last days, spoke to us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. A couple of things, first of all, I want to say to you. The thing that opened the whole book of Hebrews to me and opened the new covenant to me was an understanding that the last days that he's talking about here in Hebrews 1 is not the last days of a global situation or some 2017 or 2020 event. 
It was the last days of the Old Covenant, and it was directed towards these Hebrews, and he's saying to these Hebrews, you are in the last days of the fading away of the Old Covenant. Now see, the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus met all of the fulfillment of the law, but they are yet a while coming out of, if, if I could picture it like this, and I will picture it like this because it's a powerful picture. When the children of Israel, let me say this, let me connect this to the whole uh, wilderness journey uh, of the children of Israel under Moses. Because under Moses, the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, and they were going to be delivered from Egypt by the blood of a spotless lamb. I believe it is Revelation, the 11th chapter, I believe it is the 9th verse says this, and their dead bodies, talking about the two witnesses there, shall lie in the great uh, uh, shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom, and watch this, and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So, for the I've read that a bunches of times. But one day it dawned on me, our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. But the Holy Spirit was making a connection to the city of Jerusalem because that's where our Lord was crucified. He was crucified in Jerusalem, just outside the city. But the Holy Spirit is calling it a city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. If you can remember, even in the warnings of Jesus in His prophecies of impending judgment, He says it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it will be for you. Talking about the people of the first century, because if they'd have saw what you saw, they would have repented you know, long ago. And so He is talking, and, and just like Sodom and Gomorrah, it rained down fire, and brimstone, and destroyed them all, and destroyed that city, that same fire and brimstone was going to destroy the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, because Jesus even uses that type when He's preaching Himself about Sodom and Gomorrah. And then He even says this, it really fits in with what I'm sharing about the book of Hebrews. Remember Lot's wife. Well, what about Lot's wife? The whole message of Lot's wife is, don't go back. Don't go back. And so when Jesus was standing, even in Matthew 24, and I shared this last week especially, He is weeping over Jerusalem in chapter 23 of Matthew, and He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and you that kill the prophets, how oft I would have gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chicks, but you would not. Therefore your house is left to you desolate. Jesus is weeping because they will not receive his mercy and come under the feathers or the wings. The only place God has wings is on the mercy seat as Jesus is standing there weeping over Jerusalem. He's weeping because He said, I would have gathered you. I wanted to give you every opportunity for mercy, but you would not. Therefore your house is left to you desolate. And Jesus went out. And then He begins to prophesy Matthew 24. You see all these things, not one stone to be left on another shall not be thrown down. And, 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 and without going into great detail, Within 40 years of that prophecy, Jesus, that Jesus gave, one of the most dramatic prophecies of the Scripture is He said, 
This generation, verse 34, will not pass away until all these things come to pass. He limits his prophecy of Matthew 24, not to the year 2000-something, but to that generation. And I know the argument. I know somebody's going to come. No, he means when he said generation there, those of the same uh, genealogy. But it never translates that word that way. Matter of fact, if you're going to say that that word in Matthew 24, 34 means a race of people, then you also have to take it from Matthew 23 in the same context and in the same discourse. In Matthew 23, he said that upon this generation, talking about woe to you scribes, Pharisees, woe to you hypocrites, and he gives them six woes there. And he says that all the blood from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias will come on this generation. Those people standing there. If you're going to twist that scripture to mean that in Matthew 24, you're going to have to stay consistent in Matthew 23. That's the context of it. So he's limiting the time text to this 40-year transition period or gap, if you will. And then he tells them, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies. You know, people that, you know, I really didn't want to just deal with eschatology, but it's got to fit in with his Hebrews quite a bit. But, but I had a friend from South Africa, and he told me that when he got ready to move to, from South Africa to the United States, his friends told him, don't move to America. And he said, well, why don't we, I want to move to America. They said, because God's going to judge America. And he said, well, why is God going to judge America, not China or, or, or Iran or some other rogue nation? Why, why America? I mean, uh, where do you find that in the Scripture? Somehow we try to make the United States fit in Bible prophecy when Jesus is standing there in Jerusalem talking to that first generation people, and he's saying to them, this generation won't pass until all these things come to pass. And somehow we throw a curve over here. And I always tell people, you know, when they get all upset about Matthew 24, this is what's going to happen. I say, listen, he said, let him that's in Judea flee into the mountains. You don't live in Judea unless you're watching me today from Israel. You live in the United States of America. This is directed towards that audience. I mean, to me, when you take something out of context, it would be like me sitting here trying to tell you, hey, uh, get ready, it's going to rain. It's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. There's a flood coming. We need to get the animals together. And we need to just, you know, we need to prepare for a flood, Brother House. And I'd look at you and say, I think you're crazy. And they said, no, no, it's in the Scripture. Genesis, God spoke to Noah and said, build an ark. Yeah, that's right. <coughs> he spoke to Noah, not you. And he spoke to Noah during a certain period of time not you. And so if we take that out of context, that's like taking, see, if we take stuff out of context, we could come up with all kinds of fear tactics and manipulation. And see, I'm telling you, people have lost a lot of money by trying to buy something to prepare themselves for stuff that did not happen over and over and over again, when this is really not talking about a future catastrophe. It was talking in the context of these scriptures that I'm talking about here, the last days of an old covenant age. And in that very same text, he says, remember Lot's wife. In other words, what he's saying to them, remember Lot's wife is, if you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, don't go back to take anything out of your house, but let him that's in Judea flee into the mountains. And do you know that when the Jews saw the Romans siege this city, the ones that were believers and believed the prophecies of Jesus fled from Jerusalem into a place called Pella where there was not hardly one believer that died during the siege of Jerusalem because they had fled into the wilderness. 
and into Pella and places like that. And when he's saying don't go back, then the second thing that hits me is not just don't go back to Jerusalem, but don't go back to that system. I'm concerned. See, here we are 2,000 years into the new covenant, and at best we preach a mixture. We preach the parts of the law that fit our culture, and we call that the gospel. And somehow we've got people wanting to go back, and I'm, I'm certainly not against. And you will see me teach types and shadows. You'll see me pull stuff from the tabernacle of Moses. As a matter of fact, we're thinking about somewhere in our future, uh, you know, teaching some things on the tabernacle of Moses. Because it is the shadow. It is those things that picture and show us the substance. But I'm not interested in going back to a literal uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not trying to go, I'm not trying to become Judaistic. I'm, I am a follower of Christianity. And so I'm not interested in wearing a prayer shawl. Now, if you want to use it to teach from and see that there are types and shadows or the garments of the high priest, that's all wonderful. But see, we're not going back to these old covenant systems. We're not going back to Judaism. We're not going back to law. You can if you want to. I'm, I'm like Dr. Phil these days. I just to the point where I'm not, I'm not interested in fighting with people. I want to say, how's that working for you? If you want to go back to it, go back to it. I'm not going back to circumcision. I'm not going back to the blood of bulls and goats. I'm not going back to the rituals. I'm not going back to the divers' washings. I'm moving ahead. Hallelujah. I'm going to do what the writer of the book of Hebrews says, go on under perfection. And, and what he says in Hebrews 4 as a solemn warning. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest. That's the rest of Christ in this new covenant of the finished work. He said that you would come short of it because they missed it the first time because they would not mix it with faith. That's the solemn warning he gives later in this book of Hebrews when he tells them, listen, if you sin willfully, which means miss the mark, and you go back to Judaism and you offer the blood of bulls and goats, you are doing despite to the spirit of grace, and you're walking back over the blood of Jesus, and that's what he's warning these people solemnly, don't go back. So when he begins to talk about this, he's taking, listen, he says to them, don't go back. Once again, it was 40 years from 30 A.D. to A.D. 70. And he's saying to them, don't go back. The powerful picture here, again, connect that with Revelation chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, where it says, their dead bodies shall lie in the street, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Now, I said all that before that to connect it to Sodom. But he also connects the city where our Lord was crucified, which was Jerusalem. He says, he says, the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And for the first time in my life, I begin to see that the Holy Spirit was pointing towards that old system that's, that found its centerpiece, Judaism found its centerpiece in Jerusalem. That what he was saying, he was connecting that to Egypt. And for the first time, I've really begun to hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to me, I felt like anyway the Spirit of the Lord was saying to me, don't go back to Egypt. What is Egypt? It's the bondage of servitude and slavery. See, that's powerful. Because under the old covenant, we were servants and slaves. But in the new covenant, we're sons. And see, he goes on to say, even in this verse too, hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. So he calls the last days, the days when he spoke to us by the Son. So he said, listen, he's telling them, these Hebrews, listen, God used to talk to you in times past 
in through by the prophets, hath in these last days sent his own son. Now that doesn't mean there's not prophets and apostles still today. That's not what I'm saying here. I am telling you that what he's saying is God sent the message firsthand by the Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And the wonderful thing about it is, is the Son is the heir of all things. The heir of all things. See, part of his inheritance is us. We, he, he, it talks about in Ephesians, the inheritance in the saints. So his inheritance is us. His inheritance also included the Gentiles. But the thing it points out, it goes, uh, is that he's a son. And it's going to go on in this chapter and talk about his sonship. But what, see, moving from Egypt, the bondage of old covenant legalism and the taskmaster of religion and law is what he's calling them out of this time. Now watch this. If Egypt is a picture of that religious system based on Revelation 11:8, the city where our Lord was crucified was also called Sodom and Egypt. He was delivering us from the slavery of a system that Galatians 3 and 4 says, when we were under that system, we were slaves and servants. And we're going to see this in the next chapter in Hebrews. But now we're sons. And if we're sons, then we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And so one of the things that I want you to see is that he's offering here sonship to believers as we get on down here. But his inheritance, of course, Jesus' inheritance is us. But we're moving out of, if you will, the bondage of the servitude of slavery of Egypt. Now, now watch this comparison. When they got ready to leave Egypt under the leadership of Moses, God's method for delivering them was the blood of a spotless lamb. And they put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of their houses, and they took the lamb inside the house in the night roast with fire. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There is a lot of stuff being preached right now about the sacrifice of Jesus, and they're saying that the blood had nothing to do, that God was not interested at all in blood, that it was for, uh, it was for the believer, which I think is partly true. Here's the problem. With anything that's preached, there's usually a partial truth there. I believe a lot of the sacrifice of Jesus was, in fact, to get us to draw near have our conscience purged so we could draw near to God. But, but, but Exodus, the pattern tells us, God said, when I see the blood. So the person inside the house wasn't seeing the blood. God was seeing the blood. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and uh, not suffer the destroyer to come into your house. In the New Testament, we fast forward. Now see, they delivered them by the blood of a spotless lamb. They came out of Egypt into the wilderness. Jesus comes on the scene. A.D. 30, somewhere during this period of time, very quickly, shortly after this prophecy, he gives in Matthew 24. Jesus is crucified. He is the true Lamb of God who shed His blood with better blood, as the writer of Hebrews said, giving us better promises to bring us into a better promised land in Hebrews chapter 4. And so we're delivered by the blood of this spotless Lamb, and Jesus' blood was shed, and you and I receive salvation based on the blood of Jesus. But just like they came out of Egypt into the wilderness under Moses, they crossed the Red Sea. In the New Covenant, Jesus is our Passover lamb, 
And our inauguration into this new covenant is through the waters of baptism when we're baptized into Christ. And the writers of the New Testament got a hold of this concept. He said, even as they were baptized into Moses, baptized into Moses in the sea, in the new covenant, you and I are baptized into the mediator of a better covenant, we're baptized into Christ. Fifty days after they left Egypt, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. Under Moses, God gives them the law. The moment God gives them the law, 3,000 people drop dead. In the new covenant, exactly 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb of God, is sacrificed. They are in an upper room, exactly 50 days later. Because 50, the word Pentecost means 50. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, exactly 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb is slain, they're in an upper room, and this time God doesn't give them the law. He gives them the Holy Ghost, and 3,000 people are added to the church. Under the Old Covenant, 3,000 people drop dead. In the New Covenant, 3,000 people are added. Why is that? Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In the Old Covenant, he, he, God said, I'm going to send manna for you to eat, and they get manna, the fellows in the backyard, they feed on the manna. In the New Covenant, Jesus himself gets a hold of this, and he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I'm the true bread that came down from heaven, that if a man eats this, he'll live. Jesus was the true bread. They saw the type and shadow. Jesus was the substance. They begin to complain and bellyache and whine and say, we loathe this light bread. We hate this manna that you're giving us. And they started crying out for flesh. In the new covenant, or, or when, when, of course, when, when, when they start to complain, God said, well, he, he sent serpents among them. The serpents begin to bite them. Moses began to cry out and said to them, you know, begin to cry out and say, uh, you know, the people begin to cry out for deliverance. from. God said, listen, Moses, take a serpent and put it on a brass pole and hold it up before the people and tell the people, if they'll look, they'll live. In the New Covenant, Jesus gets that very thing, and he quotes that, and he said, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This spake he concerning what death he would die. So what he was showing us is that in the Old Covenant, you had a type and shadow with a serpent on a brass pole, but in the New Covenant, Jesus was lifted up to spoil principalities and powers. And if you will look, you will live. It's a, it's a life for a look. You can see them all the way through this wilderness journey. Every picture is a picture of redemption. When they come to the Jordan River, now we have a new leader on the scene by the name of Joshua, Hebrew name Yeshua, not an accident, because Moses brought them out with a rod, but Joshua, Yeshua, is going to bring them in with a mercy seat. Fast forward into the new covenant. You've got Jesus coming on the scene with John the Baptist in the middle of the River Jordan. When, Jesus gets, or when Joshua got ready to cross, he said, God, give me the strategy for taking for crossing the Jordan River. And God said to him, when you see a priest carry an ark into the middle of the Jordan River, you're going to know it's time to cross over into your promised land. Fast forward into the New Covenant, Matthew chapter 3. 
John the Baptist is a priest after the order of Levi because he is the son of Zacharias. He's the heir apparent to the Levitical priesthood. He's standing in the River Jordan, I submit to you, at the very same location that they crossed over into the Promised Land in Jericho. You say, how do you know that? Because Joshua told the people, when you cross, take 12 stones out of the bottom of the river and stack them up on the other side of the river because one day your children are going to ask you, what meaneth this pile of rocks? And you're going to tell them, when you see a priest carry the chest of the covenant of the Lord into the River Jordan, you're going to know it's time to cross over. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is the priest and Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And John the Baptist is about to carry him into the middle of the Jordan River. And when he carries him down into the middle of the Jordan River, after saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he points up over the bank, and I think, this is my opinion, he points at that very pile of rocks that Joshua told him to take out of the Jordan River. And he says, Matthew 3, go read it in your Bible. God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. God is able to these stones. I believe he pointed to that very pile of rocks. I think he said, listen, everything about this is screaming, it's time to cross over into your promised land. Here's the tragedy, man. We're 2,000 some years into the new covenant and people still want to fight about, well, we're waiting on God to do something. Now, God's already done everything he's going to do, but somebody's going to have to press in to their promised land. I think that's probably why. See, that 40-year journey, they were called the church in the wilderness. Listen, all this is in my book titled From Law to Grace. My newest book is out. It's got all that in there. And, and what I'm about to touch is in my other one called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Both of them are available by calling that number on the screen or going to our website. But in these two books, what I show is that even the, they were called the church in the wilderness because they were 40 years in a wilderness journey, a transition from the old to the new. Jesus on the road to Emmaus walked with the disciples and he told them all things concerning himself, beginning with Moses, the law and the prophets, and started all the way through. And I believe he was telling them these types and shadows. In the book of Revelation, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, it's called the church. It's written to, seven letters written to seven churches in the first century who were making the transition from law to grace. I believe the reason he's writing to them is to get them to repent, change the way they think, to shift from law to grace. The church is never mentioned after the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, not because they were raptured out, but because they are no longer in the wilderness. The word church means called out. That doesn't mean I don't believe we don't, I believe we need church and local churches and what we call church, but what I'm after is what this term means. It's never mentioned again, not because the church disappeared, but because the church is no longer in the wilderness. Now there's different terms to describe them. Now they're the bride, the lamb's wife, the kingdom of God. Uh, they're called uh, uh, the tabernacle of God. Many terms are used to describe them. But what I'm after is this 40-year transition that Hebrews 1 is calling the last days was a shift from an old covenant to a new covenant. Come on with me as we make this shift beyond the last days and into a brand new day. We're just about to run out of time, and if you've enjoyed this program and uh, you'd like to get behind what we're doing, call that number on the screen or go to our website. There's a lot of ways to be able to sow into our ministries. You notice we don't spend a lot of time trying to raise money. God provides through the people He lays on their hearts, but it takes you being faithful to God for us to be able to do this. 
So if you want to, call that number on the screen or write us a letter to Lynn House Ministries and there is an address that will come on the screen. It's your faithful partnership that helps us to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. We need your help and we appreciate it. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.